You know, I don't know if um, you've ever stumbled upon something uh, that changed your world. Like, like you're just going about things, and you stumble upon something, and, and the thing you stumble upon, it was there the whole time, um, but then you just discover it, and it changes everything for you. Like, my wife and I, we have two different cars. I got a 2013 Hyundai Veloster. She has a 2010 Nissan Rogue, and uh, our gas tanks are on opposite sides of the car. And uh, every once in a while, for, for years, when I was driving her car, I couldn't remember what side her gas tank was on. So I'd be driving thinking that her gas tank was on the driver's side like my gas tank is. It's actually on the passenger side. And I'd drive up to a gas pump, and it'd be the wrong side. And then I got to back up, I got to pull forward, I got to go to another gas pump. Sometimes I got to wait for somebody because as soon as I move from that gas pump, somebody zooms in and takes and I'm, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, all because I couldn't remember what side the gas pump was on. And then I discovered this symbol right here. This symbol was staring at me the whole time. And you have this in your car as well. It's an icon of a gas pump with an arrow. That arrow points which side the gas tank is on. So if you got a rental car, you're, if you're driving somebody else's car because you stole it or anything like that, then uh, you can know what side the gas pump is on. And so um, in discovering that, that changed everything for me when I uh, went to, did, did we lose lights? So, so I discovered everything, <laughs> that changed everything for me when I found that, uh, there it is, when, when I found that icon, and now when I, when I go up to a gas pump, I drive up to it with confidence. And so, so this is something that changed for me. Um, and, and I don't know if you're like this also, so, so that was there the whole time, it was staring me in the face, uh, and then I discovered it changed everything for me. And then I came across this too, I, I, I don't know if you're like this, um, every once in a while I'll get sucked into these lists on Facebook. Like, I'll just be scrolling through, and I'll see this list. It's like the top 22 scariest places on the planet that you have to visit, right? And I'm like, oh, let me check that out. Or like the top 13 foods that look like celebrities, and I'm like, oh, let me see this chicken tender that looks like Rodney Dangerfield or whatever it is. Like, so I'm just like, oh, let me, let me take a look at this list. And so these are time wasters. Like, there's time. I hate getting caught into them, but, but I'll see it. I'm like, oh, yeah, let me check this out. And uh, there was this one time I was scrolling through Facebook, and I came across this one list, it was like the top 25 words you're mispronouncing. And, and since I speak for a living, I figured, well, it's a, it's a good idea for me to check out this list. I mean, it's work, you know, so I might as well just check this out. And so I was checking out this list because I want to make sure that I'm pronouncing these words correctly. And as I was going through this list, I discovered there were some words that I had been saying wrong the whole time. Like, like I came across this word right here. How do you say that word? Say it nice and loud. Prerogative. That's at least how I thought you said it. I pronounce it prerogative. I was saying it wrong. You're saying it wrong. The way you say it is actually prerogative. That's your prerogative. Had no idea. And then I came across this list. Changed everything for me. Came across this word. Check this out. How do you say that? Zoology. You say it like that, you're wrong. I mean, I thought it was zoology. I'm going to school to study zoology. I don't know why you would go to school to study that. Maybe the way you say it is not zoology, it's zoology. I'm going to go study zoology. I know, who knew? And then I came across this word right here. Check this one out. How do you say it? Sherbert. Yeah, I'm going to have some sherbert. It's not, it's not sherbert. There's no R at the end of it. You, the, the way you say it is sherbet. Sherbet. Uh, yes, I like to order some sherbet. You just sound weird saying it that way. But I've been saying it wrong the whole time. And then, and then the, the, the last one, I came across this one, and this was near and dear to me because I read his books to my kids. How do you say this guy's name? 
Dr. Seuss, look at that, loud and proud and wrong. It's not Dr. Seuss. The way you say his name is actually Dr. Soyce. It is Soyce. Somebody says sauce. You're wrong. It's Soyce. I looked it up. It's on the internet. It's true. And some of you are like, I'm not saying it that way anyway. I'm going to say it wrong anyway. It's Seuss no matter what you say. But these are words that I came across. They were right there in, in front of me. I had been saying them wrong for so long. And then I discovered this revelation on how it's really said. You know, there are things in our life that have been in front of us the whole time. And then when we get this revelation, this new information about this thing, it changes everything for us. And what happens is a new revelation, a new understanding will often spark a revolution in our lives. And this is one of the reasons why we make resolutions. We make resolutions not because we got a new revelation, something new came into our lives. Sometimes we make a resolution because we get a new revelation, something new comes into our lives. And so we want to see a revolution. But we make resolutions because we want to see revolutions take place in our life. Earlier this year, some of us made some resolutions. Because we said, if I could just organize my time better, that would spark a revolution in my life. Things would change. We said, if, if I could just quit smoking or, 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 or quit drinking as much, or if I could just lose some weight, if I could get healthier and fitter, then that would change everything in my life. It would spark a revolution in my life. And so we came up with resolutions so that we could see revolutions. But I want to submit to you today this, this idea that uh, sometimes a revolution is so close to you, but you're missing it because something, a new revelation may be right in front of your eyes. It's available to you the whole time, but you just hadn't seen it. And so today I want to pray that today would be a catalyst for you where you would open your eyes and you would see something that you have available to you. It's been in front of you the whole time, and maybe you've been missing it. And if you open your eyes and you'll see it like never before, it will spark a revolution in your life. But in order for us to see this thing that's been in front of us staring at us the whole time that we've been missing, I need to take you back to the ancient history of Israel. And so we're going to go back about 2,900 years ago uh, to the ancient history of Israel. We're going to end up reading in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1. But before we get there, I want to give you some, some background so you can, you can see the route for where we're headed. And so what's happened is... Um, in, in 2,900, I'm sorry, 2,900 years ago, around 930 B.C., uh, the nation of Israel, Israel just above Africa, right above where Egypt is, right next to Saudi Arabia, the, the nation of Israel was united as one kingdom. And then in 930 B.C., it was divided into two separate kingdoms. Under this united kingdom of Israel, there were kings like David and Solomon, maybe you've heard about them if you've been to church any amount of time. But then after Solomon, the two kingdoms, or the kingdom of Israel gets divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. And Jeroboam is the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. I think we have a graphic so you can see this. Uh, Jeroboam is the king of the northern kingdom. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, is the king of the southern kingdom, Judah. And so the nation of Israel gets divided into two separate kingdoms, a, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Now, before Israel was divided into north and south, what happened was Solomon, who came before Jeroboam and Rehoboam, built the temple of God. And he built the temple of God and the capital of Israel, which is in Jerusalem. 
And what would happen is, and, and God prescribed that all the people of Israel would come to the temple of God to worship God, to offer sacrifices to God. And so this is what the people of Israel were to do. You go to the temple to worship God, to offer sacrifices to God. Well, when the kingdoms divide, north and south, Jeroboam takes over as the king of the northern kingdom, and he says, well, hold on, I got a problem. Because if people from the northern kingdom, Israel now, travel to Jerusalem, to the southern kingdom, to worship God, there's going to be a point where they may say, wait, why are we doing this? This is ridiculous. We need to unite the kingdom again. And Jeroboam says, they're going to kill me if that happens. Here's how he says it. For, uh, 2 Kings or Kings 12, 26, Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They'll kill me and return to King Rehoboam. So he has a problem. I can't have people going down to the southern kingdom to worship God, so I'm going to come up with a solution. And what Jeroboam does is he comes up with a self-preservation plan. And here's what Jeroboam does. And what Jeroboam does becomes a sin that plagues Israel for the next 300 years. This decision that Jeroboam is going to make is going to plague the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, for the next 300 years. Here's, here's what you need to understand. The decisions you make will affect other people. It's not just about your life. The decisions you make have a ripple effect that impact other people. The life you're living right now has been impacted by some of the decisions that your dad made, that your grandfather made, that people who came before you made, and it's impacting your life here and now. What Jeroboam did plagues Israel for the next 300 years. Here's what happens. It says this, uh, after seeking advice, not advice from God, but just after seeking advice, right? Advice from other people, not from God. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. So he's thinking, what should I do to solve this problem? I know, I'll just ask some people. I'll get some advice from them. And again, he doesn't go to God. He seeks advice from whoever. We don't know who it is. By the way, can I just point out that when you seek advice, it's really wise for you to seek advice from God and his word first and foremost. Sometimes we seek advice from the wrong people. Don't go to your broke brother-in-law and ask him about money. Right? We get advice from the wrong people. Don't go to your divorced friends to talk about how your marriage can be better. We get advice from the wrong people. Right? And then sometimes we try to give advice and we have no idea what we're talking about. If, you, if you've never raised teenagers, don't try and give people advice on how to raise teenagers. You know? So, anyway. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. This is a problem because in the Ten Commandments, God's top ten on following him the first command is this. He said, don't, don't make any other gods. And so Jeroboam, he's making some other gods. Number two is don't make any graven images, any idols. Don't bow down to them. And then here Jeroboam makes these golden calves. So right now he's broken the first two of God's top ten. And he said to the people, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Hey, listen, I'm trying to help you out. It's too much for you to travel there. I mean, it seems like a good thing. Jeroboam's trying to make it convenient for the people. He's trying to make it comfortable for the people. Hey, I want you to worship God, but come on, it's too much for you to go all the way to Jerusalem. So let me just make it easier for you. Sometimes we do this. We want our Christianity to be comfortable and convenient. But God made it what it is 
to show us some things, to push us through some things, to help us grow in some things. If you're seeking a comfortable, convenient Christianity, you're not seeking Christianity. This is tough. You got to get outside your comfort zone. You got to do some things you've never done before to see some things you've never seen before. Jeroboam says, hey, I don't want to put any pressure on you. I just want it to be easy. It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. So here's what I've done. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. This is a problem. And if you're familiar with any of the history of the scriptures, hundreds of years prior to this, there's a guy named Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. Moses was the guy who led the nation of Israel out of Egyptian captivity. The people of Israel said, hey, Aaron, make us some gods. So Aaron makes them a golden calf. Uh-oh, this is what we see Jeroboam doing. And Aaron says the exact same thing that Jeroboam said. Here are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. People say, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. This is what's happening. But maybe Jeroboam knew history, and he does it anyway. And when Aaron did this, he made these golden calves, and he said, here are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. Thousands of people in Israel died because they rebelled against God. And here, Jeroboam's doing the exact same thing. Here are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. One, he set up in Bethel. He set it up near the border of Judah, so near the, the, the south of Israel. The other in Dan, he sets this up at the, at the northern part of Israel, so two opposite ends of Israel. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Remember, Jeroboam says, hey, it's too hard for you to go to Jerusalem. But this says some people went as far as Dan. That was hard too. But they did it anyway. So they go as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. This is a problem because God prescribed in the word, uh, in his word, that priests needed to be from the tribe of Levi. Jeroboam hears that. He's like, ah, it's okay if they're not. So he prescribes... Um, he appoints priests, even though they're not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah. So it was really similar to what the people in Judah were doing. Uh, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing. Hey, when are you, oh, this sounds good. That's different because... In the scriptures, God said, do it on this day. God prescribed something. Jeroboam said, hey, let's, well, here's what I think is good. On a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival of the Israelites, and he went up to the altar to make offerings. Listen, you may hear this, and you say, what's the big deal? Who, who cares? Why, why does this matter? I mean, Jeroboam's trying to do a good thing. He's trying to make it easy for people to worship God. He's trying to make it convenient and comfortable for people to worship God. Here's the problem. Jeroboam is saying, here's what God says, but here's what I say. And so I'm going to do what I say and not what God says. This is what Jeroboam did. Now, I know none of us would ever do this, but this is what Jeroboam does. I know God said this, but I say this. And it's kind of the same. I mean, it's close. So what's the big deal? The problem with what Jeroboam does is he makes up his own way and he rubber stamps God's approval on it. 
God's got to be okay with it. I'm just making it more convenient for people. I'm just making it easier for people. He's, Jeroboam is doing what Jeroboam said, not what God said. And I know you've experienced this in your own life. When you do what you say and not what God says, it doesn't lead you anywhere good. When I've done what I say and not what God says, it doesn't lead me anywhere good. It leads me to a place of regret, of remorse, of shame. It leads me to a place where I hurt myself, where I hurt other people. And that's what sin is. When I do what I say and not what God says, that's sin. Because God has a perfect standard and he says, here's the way to life. And he knows better than any of us because he created life. He's the author of life. If you want to experience life, God is saying, do things this way. But what you and I do all the time is we concoct our own con contract with God, and we say, God, I want to do this, I'm going to do this, and you're okay with it, right? We do this in all sorts of areas of our life. This is exactly what Jeroboam does. But we do this with so many different areas in life. God, uh, this, is, this is good with me, this is the life I want to live, and I'm going to fit you in it, and you're going to be okay with it. We, we, we do this uh, when it comes to our relationships. We do this in areas of our finances, of sexuality, of right and wrong, purity, of drugs, alcohol, ethics, patriotism, all sorts of areas in our life. We say, well, culture is like this, and so this, this is just how I'm going to live. Society is like this, and so this is what I think. This is how I grew up. This is what my parents taught me. This is what my school taught me. This is what this church taught me. And so I'm going to do this thing as opposed to saying, God, what do you say? And based on what you say, that's how I'm going to live my life. Jeroboam does whatever he wants to do. And he rubber stamps God's approval on it. Like it's all good. But this leads Israel to sin for the next 300 years. On the 15th day and the 8th month, a month of his own choosing. That sounds good to me. See, what happened was Jeroboam made golden calves. He appointed priests who weren't Levites. He chose a day and a month for a celebration, all in the name of God, justifying, of course, God's okay with it because I'm making it more convenient for people. I'm making it more comfortable for people. I'm making it easier for people to worship God. See, Jeroboam did whatever he wanted to do, which was a sin. And then he was hoping God would bless him afterwards. We do this all the time. God, would you bless my finances even though I'm going to live in debt? God, I'm not going to do what you say to do, but I still want you to bless me. God, would you bless my finances? I'm not going to return the tithe. I'm not going to exercise generosity, but I need a breakthrough. Yes, Lord. Right? Maybe if I buy some oil from somebody on TV, God will bless me. God, would you bless me even though I'm not going to do what you say to do? God, would you bless our marriage coming up? We're about to get married. We can't wait, even though we're sleeping together, but we justify it because we love one another. God, we're not going to do what you say to do in pursuing purity, but we want you to bless our marriage. God, would you give me a, a, a promotion at work? Would you, would you open a door in my career? Even though I'm not giving my all at work, even though I'm not working as a working unto the Lord, even though I'm quietly quitting, God, I want to break through. Do you understand that in order for us to see the blessing of God, we have to practice the principles of God? Jeroboam's like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And of course, God's okay with it. I hear this from people. I got a deal worked out with God. It doesn't work that way. We can't fit God into our life. God says, you fit your life into what I've called you to. 
But Jeroboam just doesn't do it. So he makes these calves. He invites people to worship God in a different way than God prescribed. Essentially, he's doing his own thing. And then God said, this isn't going to work. So he sends a prophet to Jeroboam. And here's what the prophet says. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel. As Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. You can see Jeroboam, too. He's proud, right? He got these golden calves, this brand new altar. He's going to sacrifice on this. He's like, yeah. And then this prophet comes up to him. And he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. He said, altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah, remember this, Josiah, will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. So Jeroboam's there. He got the golden calf, the altar. It's all nice and neat. He's ready to sacrifice. And then the prophet says, "Uh uh-uh, God's going to destroy all this. But, but I was trying to do a good thing. I was trying to help God. I was trying to, that's not what God called you to do. You, you, can't, you can't do your own thing and, and no. And he says this guy named Josiah is going to come. When this prophet talks about Josiah, Josiah is a king who hasn't been born yet. 300 years from when this prophet says what he says, that's when Josiah gets born. So Josiah gets born 300 years later. And he carries out the words of this prophet. Before we get to Josiah, I want to show you what happened. So Jeroboam and Rehoboam, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, the timeline goes on and more kings succeed Jeroboam as time goes on. More kings succeed um, Rehoboam as time goes on. And then you can actually see on this chart right here that in the northern kingdom, this red side, all the kings who reigned in the northern kingdom Um, the scriptures say that they didn't follow the ways of God. So after Jeroboam, all these kings don't follow the ways of God. There's only one, Jehu, who does follow the ways of God. But none of these kings see the sin that Jeroboam started, the offering and the sacrifice at these two different places, Bethel and Dan. None of them do anything about it. They just keep it going. And it's a sin that plagues Israel for 300 years. And eventually what happens is the northern kingdom is taken over by another nation. You can see the southern kingdom here. Those kings in the green are those who followed God. Those kings in the red didn't follow God. But there's this moment where as time goes on, God has enough with the northern kingdom, and he says, I'm, 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 I'm giving you over to another nation. And this actually answers the question that some people ask. They say this, well, why would a, why would a loving God send people to hell? And the truth is, God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves. See, what happens with the northern kingdom is a great example of this. The northern kingdom, these kings, the people of the northern kingdom are saying, God, we want to live a life apart from you. We don't want to live for you. And because they don't want to live for God, God says, okay, you don't want to live for me, fine. I'm going to allow you to have exactly what you want. And so he allows another nation to come and take them over, and now they're separated from God. They're separated from their inheritance. God says, you want to live separated from me, I'm going to allow you to be separated from me. See, when we die, we go somewhere. Every person will spend eternity somewhere. And the question of where you'll spend eternity is dependent on what you decide to do in this life. 
if you make the decision in this life, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to live separate from you. And you never accept the sacrifice Jesus made for you on the cross that he rose again from the dead. You never give him your life. You never enter into a relationship with him. God says, fine, if you want to be separated from me, you want to do things your own way, I will allow you to be separated from me in eternity. And that's what hell is. Hell is separation from God for all eternity. And God doesn't send us there. He just says, your, your actions, your decisions here in this life uh, will just carry on into the next life forever. So you want to be separated from me? That's the choice you've made. When we make the decision to say yes to Jesus, to follow him, to be baptized into him, enter into relationship with him, then we're saying, God, I want to be with you here in this life. God says, because you want to be with me in this life, you'll be with me in the next life forever, and that's heaven. Heaven is us being with God. So God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves there based on the decisions that we make here and now. So I just want to pause and and ask, have you made the decision not to get your ticket to heaven, not to get your ticket punched and I got to get in, so let me say yes to Jesus. But have you made the decision to say, you know, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. It's a historical event. I mean, there's, There's evidence for it. But do you believe that he died for you? That he took your sin on himself so you don't have to live in that shame and regret anymore? You can live free. Do you believe that he died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, giving you life? And because you believe that, have you made the decision to say, Jesus, I want to follow you? Not just, oh, yeah, I kind of believe in God. No, no, no. I'm going to recklessly run with you. I'm going to give you my life, and I want to be baptized into you. Where you're lowered, you're immersed in the water, and you come up a brand new creation. You come up with your sins forgiven. You come up with God's spirit living inside of you. You come up out of that water, putting on Jesus like you put on clothes. Have you ever made that decision to say, I'm going to follow you and be baptized into you, God? And I'm not talking about your parents made that decision, and you were a baby, and they sprinkled some water on you or dunked you. Oh, that's scary. You got a little baby. Get in there. I don't know. I'm talking about have you made that decision? If not, man, today's the day. Because what you decide to do with God just plays out for the rest of eternity. If you've never made the decision, I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus today. You can do that through our app. You just download our app. There's a connect form there. There's also a form that says baptism. You just fill that out. Let us know, man, we want to talk to you about getting baptized. If that's too much for you as you exit, we're going to have people on our guide team who, uh, and and some people have said, wait, it's only guys on that? No, it's a guide team, G-U-I-D-E. I got to make sure I enunciate that D. But you talk to somebody on our guide team, they're going to have blue hoodies on, and they could help you out with making that decision and just go from there. But today's the day to say yes to Jesus if you haven't. And so what happens is the nation of Israel... Uh, because they just say, no, we don't want to live for you anymore, they get taken over by the Assyrians, and that's in 722 B.C. And then you fast forward 82 years to 2 Kings 22.1, where I said we're going to read from, and, and here's what we see. So 300 years after Jeroboam uh, does whatever he wants to do, causes this sin in the nation of Israel, watch this, Josiah, he was prophesied about. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. 
And he reigned in Jerusalem, this is the southern kingdom in Judah, 31 years. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. So here's Josiah, prophesied about 300 years prior. He's now born. And remember, the prophet said that he's going to destroy these altars, these high places, these golden calves. But before that happens, Josiah, eight years old, is following God's ways. 16 years later... I'm sorry, 18 years later, when he's 26 years old, because he's following God's ways, he looks at the temple of God there in Jerusalem, and he sees that it's kind of run down. Because for the past 56 years, the temple in Jerusalem has been neglected. People have treated it kind of like a hoarder home, and they've just stored stuff in the temple of God, and it's in ruins. And so he says, okay, we got to fix this up. we got to spruce this place up. So he hires some people to go in to clear out the clutter, to start fixing the temple of God. And as they do that, they stumble upon something that was there in their midst the whole time. And when they find this thing, it changes everything. Here's what happens. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan who read it. Here's what happened. The people of Judah, the people called by God's name, who are given God's word. The books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they were given God's very word. At some point, like 57 years prior, at some point, somebody took God's word, the words of life, they stashed it in the temple and forgot about it. They lost it. And then Hilkiah, as they're cleaning out the clutter of the hoarder house of the temple, they find God's word. It was there the whole time. They had just missed it. They find it, they break it out, they say, what is this? And then they start reading God's word. Hilkiah gives it to Shaphan, Shaphan starts reading, he says, oh my goodness, I gotta give this to the king. So he goes to Josiah, he presents it to the king. Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. Josiah hears God's word for the first time. This God's word has been stored away. It's been in their presence the whole time. They didn't even know it was there. They stumble upon it, and now they read it. And look at what happens. When the king heard the words of the book of law, he tore his robes. This is a sign of, like, remorse and grief. And, oh, my goodness, he's hearing God's word. And he's like, I'm hearing the things God says, and I'm looking at the way we're living. And the way we're living is not what God says. we got to change some things. He realizes that their life is not aligned with what God says. And he tears his robes like, oh my goodness, we got to change something. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He says, everybody's got to come listen to this. He gets everybody to come. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar, and he renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, decrees, with all his heart, with all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. So Josiah stumbles upon this thing. It's been in their midst the whole time. He finds it. He gets a new revelation, a new understanding, and it sparks a revolution in in Judah. 
what Josiah goes on to do is this. He launches this revolution in Judah for the people to turn back to God, to align their life with what God's word says. And the rest of chapter 23, so we read from 22, but the rest of chapter 23 tells about how he got rid of all the things that had crept into Israel regarding idolatry. He burned the idols of other gods. So he burns the idols of Baal and Asherah and Molech and Topheth, the sun god, uh, Ashtoreth and Chemosh. He ends up shutting down the living quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that uh, people would, would come to to, uh, to have sex with to worship all these different gods. He says, we're, we're shutting this down. And then um, he, he tears down the altar of Molech. And the altar of Molech is where people would come and they would sacrifice their children in the fire. To Molech. He says, no, we're not doing that anymore. And when Josiah found the word of God, what he did was he allowed what he read to determine how he led. Did you write that down? He allowed what he read to determine how he led. He changed everything. He didn't do what Jeroboam did. Well, I'm going to just do whatever I want to do. No, he said, because I read this, because God said this, that's what I'm going to do. Here's something significant, 2 Kings 23. Even the altar at Bethel. So Josiah hears God's word, and he's like, okay, we got to tear down all these different altars. we got to get rid of these male prostitutes. We're going to tear down this, this altar where people are sacrificing their kids in the fire. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, 300 years prior, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high place and he ground it to powder and he burned the Asherah pole also. And then Josiah looked around and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it in accordance with what the Lord proclaimed by the man of God who foretold those things 300 years prior. The king asked, what? Is that tombstone I see? And the people of the city said, Oh, it marks the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and pronounced against this, against this altar of Bethel the very things you've done to it. He said, Leave it alone. Don't let anyone disturb the bones. So they spared his bones and those of the prophet who had come to Samaria. See, when God's word is found in Israel, a revolution breaks out in Israel because the king read it and then he did it. You want to see a revolution break out in your life? You take God's word, you read it, and then you do it. It's that simple. Second Kings 23, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. Josiah read God's word, and then he did it. So what does this mean for us? You want to see a revolution, you read God's word, and you do it. You don't explain it away. You don't say, well, that's not how culture and society is. You don't say, well, that's so old-fashioned. You read it, and you do it. That's all I got. This sermon could have been a lot shorter. I just could have stood up and said, hey, y'all see this? Do this. But that's it. 
When you read God's word, the breakthrough you're looking for is going to come through. Dave, could you do me a favor? Could you bring some, some chairs up? Uh, 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 I want to show you all how this, how this looks. But what happened is Josiah did the thing that he read. He, he read it and he said, I need to live by it. He didn't say, well, that's a nice suggestion. Uh, maybe I'll give it a shot. Maybe I'll try it out. Maybe I'll, no. He, he read it and he, and he did what, what it said. I want to I wanna show you how, how to read the Bible. This is how you do it. You, you go in your house. You go wherever. You get a nice little comfy spot. Sit down. You just open it. And then you read it. Do that for about five, ten minutes. Okay. Huh. Not living like that. All right, guess I got to start doing that. All right, well, God, I just read this, so would you um, help me live this out? And I want to focus on this today and um, give me the strength I need to do it. Amen. That's it. That's how you do it. Well, I don't have time to read the Bible. I just showed you. That's what it is. And you can get you a little bit of coffee right here. We didn't have a little table. That's it. That's, that's all it takes. Hey, and that's why we're doing basic seven. You got the cards in your chair. Basic seven says this. Wake up before the sun and spend time with God. I can't do that. I, listen, Mark 135 says this. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house, withdrew to a lonely place, and he prayed. Jesus made the time to spend time with God. If the Son of God needs to make time to spend with God, so do you. We invite you to do that before the sun. Because if you try to wait till later, this is going to get sidetracked for you. You're not going to find the time. Too many things are going to happen. Emails, phone calls, you're figuring out what's for dinner, all that stuff. But in the still, quiet time of the morning, you just spend time with God. And this is why we have it in Basic 7. And Basic 7 is really strict. Basic 7 is really, there are seven different things for you to do, six of them every single day, one of them every single week for seven weeks. And you got to do all of them. And if you miss one of them any day, you start back over. Seems really strict. Here's why. We're trying to teach you not to be like Jeroboam. Right? Jeroboam did whatever you want to do. Well, I'll just do it this way. I'll... Listen, you don't have to be, uh, do basic seven to become a Christian. If you do basic seven, you're not going to get to heaven. But it's going to teach you some habits. It's going to help you form some habits you don't currently have. It's going to transform you. And one of those habits is taking time to read the Bible. I don't know where to start. Just open it. Look, look, look at the passages from the sermon and go back and reread those. I say, what do I need to do from that? It's that simple. Here's, here's what happens when we read the scriptures. A study found that this is what happens when a person reads the Bible just four times a week. When you read the scriptures, you, uh, feeling lonely drops 30%. Just by reading God's word. Anger issues drop 32%. 
Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. Discipling others jumps 230%. You want to see a revolution take place in your life, all you do is you read what God said and then you do it. That's how it works. You just read it and do it. You just read it and do it. It's not complicated. It's not, I don't have an eight-step plan for you. to. No, you just read it and do it. That's how the revolution happens. You don't got to jump up and down, say some magical words. You don't need me to pray for you. You, don't, you just, it's, it's right in your midst. It's there the whole time. If you'll just reach out, read it, and do what it says, align your life with it, man, you'll see a revolution take place. So can I just read God's word over you today? And as I read some of these passages and different themes of your life, I want to invite you to line it up with your life and say, all right, well, if I'm not living it, I need to start. Because God's way is the way to life. And that's how I want to live. So I just want to read some things over you. Y'all awake? Here we go. Forgiveness. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Man, if you're holding on to a grudge, not anymore. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. But you don't understand what they did. You don't understand. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When you forgive, you'll find the freedom that you've been longing for. We just want to read it and do what it says. Debt. Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor. The borrower is slave to the lender. You want to get free, you can't be anybody's slave. It's time to get out of debt. It's time to cut up the credit cards. It's time to create a budget and live on it and not spend more than you make. That's how you find freedom. Making worship a priority. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. It means you make being here a priority. We're going to be here, and we're going to invite people to come be a part of this. Purity. Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy. He said, hey, Timothy, treat young men as brothers, treat old women as mothers, and treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So if y'all ain't married, you treat her like a sister. You wouldn't do that to your sister? Don't do it to your girlfriend. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all. The marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. So you just decide, I'm not going to bring anything into the marriage bed. I'm not going to look at naked people who aren't my spouse. I know it's tough, I know it's a struggle, I know it's an addiction for some, but you can beat it. You can overcome it. And there's people in this church who can come alongside you to help because they've been through it. I've been through it. I've struggled through it. And I've set up some boundaries. I've put some things in place because I just got to align my life with what God's Word says. And I know that's not what's best for me. 
And so if you're caught in the midst of that addiction, man, we're here to help. There's no shame in that. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Just make that covenant. Serving others. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. You just decide, I want to be great in my life, and so because of that, I'm going to serve. If you're not currently serving here in this church, man, today's the day. Hey, I want to be great. I want to line my life with what God's Word says, so I'm going to start serving. Submitted to authority. A fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Gossip. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. I'm just not going to talk about people behind their back. And when I do talk about people behind their back, it's always going to be good. Parenting. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't turn from it. Work ethic. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Priorities and rest. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Make God the center of your life. God, everything I do, I want to seek you. And I know that everything else will be added to me. And then here's the truth that you have victory in Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Can I let you know that you are more than a conqueror? Whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you're facing, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're going to see a revolution, you got to read God's word and do what it says. And you got to claim those promises. And you got to know that you got victory in Jesus, that you are loved, you are called by his name, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for anything less. It's time to discover the more you were made for and is found right here. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. Oh man, we are so dense sometimes. The answer's right in front of us at times, and we just miss it. <laughs> but thank you for loving us anyway. Thank you for gently pushing us to where we need to be. And so, God, as we look at the answer of your word right in front of us, I pray, I pray, I pray. And we just say, I want life. And we make the time. We take the time to read what your word says. And we don't try to fit your word in our life, but we fit our life into your word and we align our life with what your word says because that's where the words of life are. And that's how we want to live. And we want a revolution to break out in our life. So help us do that this week, to sit down in a chair 
take out our Bible, even if it's on our phone, and simply read what you said and decide to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.